Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 223 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get right into the show after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. For the first time in a while, I have quite a bit of fun travel coming up this summer, and I'm really counting on Macy's to help round out my wardrobe for some of these trips. Right now, I've got my eye on a new bag and sandals from Coach and some super cute tops and dresses from Macy's On 34th brand. And you can never really have too many pairs of sunglasses. And there are a lot of cute options to explore right now. If you need a little help getting your summer look together, shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? 
Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. The journey to recovery after substance abuse looks different for everyone. And it's important to find spaces and communities that can support you along the way. Joining us today to chat about what the recovery journey might look like throughout the lifespan is Kristen Feemster. Kristen is a licensed marriage and family therapist, wellness coach, and the founder of V3 based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. With the mission of moving women toward freedom, she offers therapy and wellness programs to support women in shifting unhealthy patterns to create a sustainable lifestyle. Kristen has been sober for six and a half years and has felt it was important to share her story because there were so few Black women sharing about sobriety when she was looking for resources. Kristen and I chatted about what kinds of things you should pay attention to in your relationship with alcohol to indicate there may be a concern, the importance of recovery options that are culturally responsive, and how we can support friends and loved ones in their recovery. If there's something that resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kristen. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yes, thank you for having me. I am seriously honored to be here and speaking on the topic. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I was wondering if you could just start by telling us a little bit about your recovery story and the decision to make that a part of your practice. Essentially, I grew up as a child, struggled with anxiety. I can identify now in perfectionism from a very young age. And I think that was exasperated by, you know, I grew up in a predominantly white environment, community, went to a predominantly white school and just naturally always felt like I needed to do more and be better and that good wasn't good enough and that I needed Mm -hmm. to keep striving and striving for perfection to make it, to feel good enough and to be acknowledged and appreciated. And so these are all things that I'm realizing in hindsight at the time, I didn't really know what was going on, why I felt like I was just always, you know, on edge about life and the things that I was involved in. I grew up an athlete. I played basketball, volleyball, ran track. I was a year round athlete of some sort. And so a lot of that worry, lack of confidence, insecurity showed up in my sports as well. And so always struggled with that in high school and particularly in college as well when I played basketball. And so where the drinking comes in is that I didn't wait until I was 21 to start drinking. So that is important to note in my story. I started drinking in high school socially, but still nonetheless drinking before I was of age. And that continued in college. But I would say at certain periods, it was normal for whatever, you know, late teens, early 20s would be as far as environment. And I think that's something um, to speak to as well as is that normal, actually, or is that a problem already in Mm -hmm. the ways that I was drinking, but I started to notice the older I got, and the more my um, mindset around my capabilities and struggling with confidence and just being anxious in spaces where I know I'm qualified, I know I'm smart, I know I'm capable, but still just feeling like I wasn't good enough, I started to notice relying on drinking more 
And so outside of the social settings of parties and tailgates and different things like that, and more into my personal life to deal with my emotions. And so this is something that happened slowly. It's not something that I remember the day when it was social and then it went into problem drinking, but it was a gradual reaching out for something to make me feel better, whether it be a heartbreak, whether it be losing a game, whether it be you know, the pressures of all the organizations I was a part of and all of that, it just slowly began to be, hmm, I think I'll have some wine with that. Over time, what we know about problem drinking is that for a lot of us who have a problem with alcohol, the behaviors that we used to do start out maybe more occasional or far in between. But as you continue drinking, you realize that you start to do things more frequently, drinking more often. And so instead of it being a weekend thing, now it's a Thursday through Sunday thing, or now I'm drinking on Wednesday because, you know, everybody drinks on Wednesdays and you start Mm -hmm. to think through all these reasons why your drinking is okay on any given day. I didn't notice that as much until I graduated college and no longer was a student, no longer was an athlete and was really just going through an identity crisis of who am I? What was that all for? You know, all those years of trying and striving. What am I doing with my life? Where am I going? Where am I living? What's my career? And what do I do with myself? Through that, yet again, well, let me just drink to not think about it or to feel better Mm -hmm. about it. And so that essentially was more or less the case leading up until I decided to stop drinking at the age of 26. But I just began to notice that all of the things that I felt like I had under control, whether it be certain days or a certain amount or a certain time period or, or anything, bit by bit started to no longer matter. And I began to feel out of control. I felt like I was no longer dictating when and how much I would drink and rather alcohol was starting to control me. And that's when I knew that I had become at least psychologically and emotionally dependent, but also maybe even physically dependent at some stages before I stopped. So you bring up so many really great points, Chris, (laughs) and I really appreciate you sharing that with us Mm -hmm. because you've talked about like how drinking is a part of our culture, right? Especially like youth culture, right? Like that is what you do when you go to college and at least that's Mm -hmm. the thought, right? And so I'm wondering if you can share for people how they might know when drinking has become problematic. It's a spectrum, right? There's so many debates about is alcohol good for us? Is it not? Or can you drink in moderation? Can you not? And really every person is different. And so sometimes when I'm giving people suggestions or guides for that, I put it out there that you really have to be in tune with yourself. Because any example you can rule yourself out of or into, depending on your headspace around it. And so ultimately, if you feel like alcohol is causing you to do, say, or be things that you don't want to be and that you don't want to do and that aren't true to who you are, then it is a problem. But what that could look like for anybody who's just like, I don't know if my behaviors are kind of on the cusp or whatever, but it could look like noticing an increase in the frequency of drinking. So say, oh, well, I used to have one or two drinks on the weekend and that was it. And now I find that I have five at a day party or at an event, you know what I mean? Noticing that increase and not wanting it to be there anymore, you know what I mean? Or noticing that your either your tolerance or your frequency or noticing that you are justifying 
your drinking. So, well, it's okay if I, you know, drink at this because we're at a social gathering. I mean, what's wrong with drinking now when you know that you may not necessarily want to drink at that event or had plans to not drink? I find that a lot of times with clients I work with now is that I go in and I tell myself I'm just going to have to. And the next thing you know, I've had more than that. And then I don't know where I fell off from my original plan. And so if you have a point where it was like I meant to stay sober or I didn't even really want to drink, but I found myself drinking anyway, that also could be a sign that your relationship with alcohol is is not in the healthiest of spaces. And of course, if sometimes we talk about the consequences that you can start to experience from continued drinking, whether that be severe hangovers that are getting worse. I know that that was something that I started to experience is that the bounce back the next morning was not what it used to be. (laughs) And it was a problem. It was getting in the way of studying for the next day, showing up for things the next day, or just canceling things that I would have been at because of the way I physically felt. And so I think that also can be a sign that's actually normalized. You know, the hangover, the Sunday scaries, we call them sometimes, or the Sunday blues from a weekend of drinking tends to be normalized. But to know that that's not normal to feel that way and that is our body letting us know, hey, we did too much, too many toxins in the body right now. We're sick. You know what I mean? And so I think those are some of the big ones around frequency and tolerance for alcohol, as well as the physical and emotional consequences that come along with it. Yeah, I mean, and there are lots of different pieces that would need to be addressed. And so can you share if I recognize that I do have a problem, right? Like maybe I don't appreciate my behavior after I've been drinking. or I'm noticing that I am drinking way more than I used to. What are some of the next steps? Like, what do I do if I discover that I do have a problem with drinking? Honestly, a big part of it is just acknowledgement. So many times we live in a space of denial or just lack of knowledge about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Some people come from environments where their families drink like that, their parents drink like that, their siblings. And so they don't really notice, you know, that something is a problem. And so I always applaud people because you need that. You need that awareness. You need to. It doesn't come with a certain label. I think it's just the acknowledgement that I have a drinking problem is really what I'm looking for because that shows that we're open and willing to explore what the next steps might be. And so with that, next steps I would say is to definitely get connected. I think that that's the most important part of it because so many times addiction and problems, any of our vices really happen in secret. You know, it's like nobody knows or the right The same people who do the same thing are the only people that know. And it really keeps us from accessing other supports, other skills, other resources that we might need to actually address the problem. And so I would suggest if there's a support meeting or even a safe person that you know is sober or has mentioned some certain things about their journey with a particular substance or vice that you can reach out to that you feel safe with, I would say that those are some great places to start. And of course, you can never get enough of just knowledge around alcoholism, addiction, just for your own understanding of what's going on with you. Because I know so many people struggle with shame and feeling like an addiction is their fault. And I did this on myself and I should have had more control and discipline to figure this out on my own. And so I think the more knowledge you can have about it, the more you can allow yourself to get the support 
and resources that you need to really overcome it. Kristen, that brings up an interesting point. I'm wondering if you can say more about, and I do feel like there has been some back and forth in the field around like addiction and like genetics. And is this like a thing that is a more biological thing? Is it more social thing? Can you speak to where we are now with the thoughts around addiction? Yeah, I think that the nature nurture debate is going to be one that we'll always have Mm -hmm. about certain things. But what we do know and what I'll speak to and what I help my clients with the most is understanding that our environment and the context which we grow up normalizes things, exasperates things, trauma, different things like that play a role in who we become in the last mm, five to 10 years I would say that the conversation around it doesn't have to be a black or white thing as far as what addiction looks like and what alcoholism is in order for people to want to be sober. I think it's really helped to get less away from is it or like how and the why instead of realizing there's actually at least 30 different reasons why we are dependent on alcohols in the ways that we are. And it matters to a certain extent why, but it also is more important as to how we move forward with that information and what we do with that. For example, for me, alcoholism does run on one side of my family, and I don't blame my behavior on anyone else's or anything like that. I didn't observe alcoholism as a child. It just is in my bloodline. But I do think that avoiding hard conversations and reaching outside of ourselves to feel better and having secrets of some sort is a problem in my family. And that all lends itself to, oh, wow, I have a problem. Who can I talk to about it? Like, what do I do about it? Not really seeing what I need in order to move past that. And I see that as being very important for the the ways that we cope and the habits that we develop. Mm-hmm. Great mm-hmm. points there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a part of like just our national conversation just around stuff like managing stress and coping mechanisms, right? Like alcohol often comes up as a part of like, oh, you know, I'm having a bad day. Like like you mentioned, like I'll just have a glass of wine, right? I mean, you know, the American Psychological Association has this Stress in America report that they do every year. And so, of course, last year's results were very telling. So in the 2020 Stress in America report, of adults reported drinking more alcohol to cope with stress during the pandemic than before, right? And I think there are lots of reasons, of course, that we can understand how that happens. Can you share a little bit more about what has been the impact of the pandemic and people's drinking? Yeah, I definitely would agree with that statistic, if not higher than that. You know, of course, statistics only come from people who self-report and acknowledge and are aware that their drinking problems have have increased. But I also think that it's twofold, right? I spoke to earlier about how sometimes we justify and rationalize our drinking habits because of social situations. Like, oh, well, I'm drinking this much because I had this on Thursday, this on Friday, this on Saturday, and then brunch on Sunday. So that's four days of drinking that have all been justified by a social outing of some sort. And so when the pandemic happens, Well, we don't have that event on Thursday. We don't have that engagement on Friday. We don't have those social constructs. And so when you take those away, now it's, I'm just drinking. I realize it's blatant. Like I still want my wine on 
Thursday night, even though I don't have dinner with friends to go to. And so I think that that has increased people's awareness of their drinking habits that have maybe already been there. But also on the other side of that, we have been collectively under a lot of stress and trauma, whether that be from the pandemic, whether that be from the protests and racial tension in in the country, political tension in the country, and not really having the skills to deal with that otherwise, while also getting messages from big alcohol companies that, hey, look, this is fun. If you pay attention to commercials, there'll be moms with kids and the moms like they're advertising wine, but it'll be like, you know, moms, you deserve this after a long day. It won't be overt messages. It'll usually be a covert placing of a drink or highlighting a drink in a video or something like that. But all of those messages, we take those in. And so where have we been most of the pandemic. We've been on our phones. We've been watching TV. We've been taking all of that stuff in. And it's not that it happened suddenly, but I do think it plays a role in what we think we have access to, to cope. And so on both sides, I think there is already a drinking issue in our country for sure. But it's also been exasperated by the particular stressors that we're under. And it's highlighting how we've used alcohol as a crutch in many ways that we didn't realize before. Mm. More from my conversation with Kristen. After the break. Growing up watching media legends like Gwen Ifill and Robin Roberts always gave me the security that stories that matter to me would be told. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity. That it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements. And to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. 
Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. So you mentioned earlier that when you feel like you might have a problem with alcohol, like one of the best things to do is to acknowledge that and to find others that you can connect with. I mean, we know that for Black women, right, like situations and treatment should be culturally specific, right? And so I would just love to hear your take around how you can find those programs and what that looks like when we are talking about Black women, like going to a recovery program, like how would that be tailored to be culturally specific? So I would say that this new space that we're in as far as recovery, I'm taking that in in real time that really only since the pandemic started, have I even seen for my own personal recovery spaces that are unique and safe for women of color, Black women. And so I think that if we had to find a, some sort of silver lining with the pandemic, I think that recovery spaces going online has made them, one, more accessible to different people. You know, to have to acknowledge your drinking problem to an extent that you would physically go to a meeting is different than being able to log on to a virtual meeting with your camera off and just check it out. You know what I mean? So I think in that sense of the word, recovery is more accessible, or at least people who are sober is more accessible. And also with that, I've tended and have seen some recovery meetings that are specifically for BIPOC folks to attend. Mm -hmm. And it creates a safer space to have these conversations around race and around everything that's going on. And I remember 
when I first got sober, I started going to in-person 12-step meetings and it was at the height of Donald Trump's election. I mean, it was really tense and I'm in the Carolinas, so we're down in the South and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, just tense. And I remember feeling so isolated because there is a element of not talking about outside issues in those 12-step spaces. And I was like, I have no idea where to take this information and this weight that I feel and the frustration of just today. Like, I don't feel like I can talk about it. And then also I'm looking at people who don't look like me. I don't even know if it's safe for me to even bring that up. And so that was a pretty big deal the first couple of years. But I say that to say that now there are those spaces that are popping up now where you can log on to a meeting and see nothing but beautiful brown women staring back at you from all over the world, even um, Mm -hmm. to give you that support to say, yes, I see you. Yes, I hear you. And me too, you know? Mm -hmm. And so off the top of my head, she recovers has a black women only recovery meeting that they host at least once a week that I know about. It's a great space. It's led by a recovery coach. So you can get some really good information and support there as well, but also other women, from all across the world that are trying to get and stay sober at a time like this. And then also Sober Black Girls Club is a Instagram page and they also have several recovery meetings throughout the week for this very same reason to give us a space to just say I'm black and I'm struggling and I have a drinking problem and I don't know where else to go to talk about all of these things together. Mm-hmm. But in those spaces, you have people that are looking back at you and have been there. It really makes all the difference. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you know, because the whole premise around like AA is that like it's supposed to be anonymous right and you know if you are like a black woman in the south where there might not be a lot of like other people who look like you like are you really anonymous right like I feel like there is this sense that your anonymity may not be protected in the same way as someone else who is not a black woman in the group absolutely you just spoke to my story right from the jump that's exactly how it was you know I remember walking into some 12-step meetings at the beginning and I couldn't understand, like I would have to call another sober friend and have them talk me through walking into the room. And they could not, most of them white, all of them white, actually, they could not understand why it was just so hard. They're like, you know, everybody there has a drinking problem too. It's not that big a deal. You know, no one's going to go back and share your information with anyone. And I'm like, I know I didn't have the words for it at the time. But it just was so hard for me to get through and to attend meetings at first. And it was because I would be the only black person in the room. And I'm six foot tall, fro, you know, there is no blending in and like kind of just sliding in the back door and just having a seat. There's like, whoa, there's this new black woman in our meeting. Who are you? It came from a genuine place, I would say. I don't think anybody was out to like point me out, but it definitely did not feel anonymous to Mm -hmm. me, you know. So, yeah, right. that's definitely a big factor. Hmm. Yeah. So can you say more about something else that happens in like the 12 step programs is that like you will typically get matched with a sponsor, right? Or like find mm-hmm. a sponsor. Mm-hmm. What kinds of things should you look into to figure out like who's going to be like the right sponsor for you? So for me, when I first went into 12 step, I knew that my first priority was that I didn't have anybody really that could support me in the ways that I needed to be supported as far as just not drinking. And so my initial decision was made out of, I need someone that I can depend on, 
to pick up the phone, to talk me through these stages and really just giving me that support. I didn't have the option really to choose a black sponsor at the time. Um, I didn't in that particular meeting when I made the decision, there was no one there and I just went with who was there. And so I think that this is a very nuanced thing because it's like, do you wait and get that support once you find, you know, another black person to walk you through the steps or just to be your sponsor? Or do you make the decision that, hey, I need help right now today. And so let me go with what I have and then hopefully be able to transition. There's a lot of different factors that that depends on, I would say. But if it's possible to find someone that can relate to you culturally, racially, that sort of thing, that will help ease your recovery experience. If at all possible, I would say, yeah, absolutely. Look for someone who is also Black and in recovery, however you may identify. And the recovery programs that I mentioned to you earlier, they do have those supports in place naturally. But even for people who are in person, I would say be very mindful of not waiting for that person to come because alcohol it is an addiction and it will make it hard for you to stay sober to not have that support but also if there's an opportunity i would say jump on it for sure something that happened to me with my sponsor is that it worked for a while and i'll say this is kind of how recovery changes over time it worked for us to stick with the issues help me stay sober rebuild my life, you know, go through the steps, all of that. But then there was like at the two, three year mark, I realized that I was in a space where I needed more and that's okay too. And so I remember having a conversation with her to say everything she had done for me, I, I genuinely appreciated, but we had come to the end of our relationship. I just knew that the issues I was dealing with at that point were a little bit more specific. And that's when I broke off into exploring some of these other recovery spaces to to help myself. The virtual ones weren't available at that time, but that is when I started exploring what really should my recovery look like? How can I make this last long-term? And it's not just staying right here. I've got to look for more and try to find more. Mm-hmm. Can you say mm-hmm. more about like how somebody might know? Because this sounds a lot like working with a therapist, right? Like there comes mm-hmm. a point and at some point where, you know, you're working with a therapist for some time and you've done great work, but you realize like, OK, this person can't take me to this next place. So what mm-hmm. kinds of questions should someone ask to kind of determine whether they should stick with a sponsor or whether it might be time to like break up, so to speak, with that sponsor, mm-hmm. maybe find somebody else? How would you know? I would say, do I feel like with the information I have about myself right now, can I be fully honest with them? And so when I was early on in recovery, to the best of my knowledge, I was being 100 percent honest about the things I was dealing with. But as you heal and as you grow, you realize deeper things or other things start to come to the surface that then I also need to process and get support around. And so when I felt hesitant to call or felt like I couldn't really give a full update on my day or felt like I couldn't really run a certain issue by my sponsor, then I started to realize, OK, if I can't be completely authentic and honest with this person, then I need something else in addition to that, you know? And so that's an option too. It may Mm -hmm. not be a breaking up with your sponsor and then just exploring your other options. It might be a little bit of both. But for me, I was pretty well into the 12 step life and felt like I needed something else branching out. And so for me, that looked like getting on the sober black women hashtag on Instagram and looking up other sober black women and saying, Hey to them, you know, Mm -hmm. and that kind of helped me before I actually 
ended things with my sponsor, it kind of helped me realize, ah, that's what it is. That's what I was missing. That's what I needed more of. And so it kind of overlapped. It wasn't like I knew it, broke up with her and then moved on. It was kind of like through the exploration, I realized I need other Black women that are doing this in the ways that I'm having to do it. Mm -hmm. And so let me add that in. Do I feel safe? Do I feel like I can be open and honest and authentic with these women? Yes, I do. Now, sponsor, thank you. This has been an amazing, you know, and I had that conversation with her and she understood that I needed to do that for myself. So, mm-hmm. so I want to talk a little bit about media portrayals of alcoholism because, you know, we've already talked about like how some of that impacts us, right? Even what people think are subtle messages definitely mm-hmm. impacts us and we get ideas about that. And more recently, we have seen varying degrees of like alcoholism in some shows like Euphoria, How to Get Away with Murder, and most recently, or at least the most recent depiction I've seen in treatment on HBO, right? Which is a show about a therapist and her mm-hmm. clients, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just love to hear like any thoughts you have about maybe those shows or others in terms of like what you feel like they really got right about portraying alcoholism and, you know, treatment. Yeah, I've seen Euphoria. I've seen How to Get Away with Murder and All American, actually, I've watched recently. Mm. It's another series with a, an addiction um, storyline with one of the young teens in that show. And I think that... I see myself in all of them. Mm -hmm. I see the superwoman, you know, when you think about uh, Viola Davis and how to get away with murder, her job was super stressful. She was trying to hold it all together. There was so many things going on. And those are the reasons why we reach for that relief of a drink is to have a break and to cope and to keep showing up. And I just, I can't remember, you know, episodes or seasons in particular, but I just remember seeing scenes of her, trying to deal with the stressors of the day when she would come home and it was, and it worked for a while and then it started to spill over into her work, you know, Mm -hmm. and it started to backfire. And I think that is an accurate depiction of how alcoholism or even just drinking problems in general, how they tolerance increases, the frequency goes up and you start to experience those more severe consequences. And so I do appreciate seeing that more in the storylines because I think it helps women like myself or someone who's not even where they are really realizing their drinking problem or ready to acknowledge it, they can at least see a different option. And I think Mm -hmm. that representation is so important for when I log on to whatever social media or if I watch a show to see that I'm not the only one and that there's a recovery option available. Like I can see that happening. Yeah. And then also for some of them, you kind of get the understanding of where their drinking came from, which helps you have compassion. You know, Mm -hmm. we're so hard on ourselves and we think that I caused this on myself when really, you know, with euphoria, she had all kinds of trauma that was from her experience in childhood that was fueling that. And the same for all the other storylines. And so if I can have compassion for these characters and see how they got to where they are, surely I can have compassion for myself and give myself that grace to go get the help and support I need to really be well, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, Kristen, as I'm thinking about it, it feels similar to how historically we didn't necessarily think about Black women as it was related to eating disorders, right? Like for a long time, it felt like, oh, that's not something Black girls struggle with, right? And it feels like maybe to a lesser extent, it was the same thing with substance abuse, right? That you didn't necessarily hear about this like being a problem for Black women, when of course, this is something that we have struggled with, whether we named it that or not. 
Exactly. Yeah. And historically, just thinking about, you know, just the medical field in general, like it wasn't okay for us to struggle with that for a very long time. We had to keep it together. There wasn't a um, supportive, non-judgmental space for us to go to, to acknowledge those things. And so for Black women and even for our community in general, we go inward and we say, well, we'll just keep it in house. We'll just figure it out some other kind of way. And then that turns into stigma around who, what does certain disorders, what do they look like and who gets to quote unquote gets to have them or not. Mm-hmm. And it can be very damaging to, to our community to um, believe that because we go without acknowledgement and it repeats the generational patterns. And then the, the problem grows. And so, y- yes, I do think that has been a challenge for us, particularly with food as well, with eating disorders mm-hmm. as well, the same thing, and that it's okay. And mm-hmm. it's okay. You're not, you're not abnormal. It's okay that you struggle with that. Let's see what it would look like to heal and get better mm-hmm. from that, you know? Mm-hmm. More from my conversation with Kristen after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve, and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in stores to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, 
personal and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API Scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again. And happy hour happens any hour with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from zip lining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. So a lot of times I think what happens with stuff like substance abuse and drinking, you know, friends and loved ones sometimes recognize that there is a concern maybe before the person does. So can you share a little bit about how we might be able to support a friend or a loved one who is struggling with recovery? I think the most important part is to make sure that you're a safe place. And I think that sometimes we want to express concern and because it feels urgent to us, we come out with maybe a strong energy around it, making demands sometimes, you know, or, or out of concern, but it's not as gentle as, as it may need to be. And so I always say that how are you living your day-to-day life and relationship with that person to show that you're a safe space for them to acknowledge something that's so difficult to even acknowledge within yourself, better yet, much less, you know, another person. And so for me, in my journey, that looked like who would push alcohol on me in different social settings or not before I stopped drinking, but who would encourage me to drink and who would just kind of let me make my own decisions about whether I drink or not? Who would I do other fun things with outside of just drinking? Who did I have that type of relationship with? How did I see them interact with other people around mental health struggles and addiction? Did I hear them 
show care and compassion or did I hear them show judgment and and place stereotypes on that person? So I would say, first and foremost, make sure you're a safe person in the ways that you are in relationship with that person in general. And then from there, I think there are some ways to express concern in a gentle way. Um, what we know about addiction is sometimes you can we can get into defending our addictions, being very reactive if someone brings up a drinking problem. And so knowing that going in and finding some gentle ways to express concern that are without judgment as much as possible, I think is a, a helpful way um, to start the conversation. And then also educating yourself on what this means, what this looks like, what you can do to influence the situation and what ultimately is out of your control, I think is helpful. I've uh, spent some years as a family therapist at some treatment centers, and a lot of our work was around knowing what they could and couldn't do for their loved one. And so, so many parents with their kids, they like, they want them to be sober more than their child wants to be sober. Even if they're an adult child, they would still, you know, enable in certain ways and we'll pay for this and we'll pay for that. Just go to treatment and, you know, like all the different ways that they would try to support them. They thought they were supporting them, but really it was just enabling the situation. So mm-hmm. my role with them was just to talk about what does it look like to have healthy boundaries and almost at some points detach, detach from needing to know and be in control of the situation, which is very hard and painful for us to do is to see someone else suffering and feel like we have to completely detach from watching them do so. But in actuality is very important for the family or loved one's recovery as well. You know, you have the person with the drinking problem that has their own recovery, but also the support and family for for that person also have their own recovery process. And so boundaries is another part of that work and realizing what am I responsible for? What am I not responsible for? How can I influence the situation without making it my responsibility to do the work for them? I think a lot of times, like after a friend has decided, like they are going to be sober, right? There is a, this awkwardness around like, okay, do we not have alcohol at the functions anymore? Like, so what kinds of practical things can people really do to help a friend who might be sober? I think that because we see drinking problems as being taboo, even though we're trying to work on, you know, making it a more normal thing to address and and deal with. Sometimes we think that asking the person in recovery what they need is kind of like, oh, I got to figure it out on my own. And then hopefully it won't trigger them or hopefully it's what they need instead of just saying, what does that mean for you? What can I do to support you? What feels comfortable? To you. And with every person, it's going to be different. You know, I know some people that are not bothered by other people drinking around them, or some people who drink non alcoholic beverages instead of alcoholic beverages. And then some people who are like, I can't be around it at all. I've got to completely like start with a clean slate of friends and people, places, and things. And so, really, for each person, it's going to be different. So, first and foremost, I would say it's okay to not guess and it's okay to not know. And so ask them what would be the most supportive for you right now and know that that may change a year from now it may not be such an urgent cravings and that sort of thing. And they may be able to be in certain spaces and be OK, but it really depends. And some of the things that usually are things that need to be adapted would be, can this person be around alcohol in general? Would they prefer to not to have a sober or dry wedding or a sober activity? And if so, being the friend that's okay with that. Because I think sometimes we're afraid that our friends aren't going to want to 
make any adjustments for us or sacrifice for us so that it's going to be burdensome to ask, you know, my friend group to opt for something else other than the wine tasting and Mm -hmm. the paint and sip, you know what I mean? And so anytime you can just say, hey, I have plans for us and it just naturally doesn't include alcohol. That is the best because it's like, you don't even have to like worry about it. We're going hiking, you know, don't have anything to do with alcohol. I think that's a great way to do that. And also to be supportive when they share with you. Mm -hmm. And so if someone says, I think I have a drinking problem and I wanted to let you know, that means that they trust you. And that means that they need your support. And so I can't count how many times, what? A drinking problem? No, you don't. And it's like, but I'm telling you that I do and Mm -hmm. I need your support, you know, in that moment. And so I think that's something that folks can know is just if someone tells you that, accept them, love them. How can I support you? That's awesome. That's great. That's Mm -hmm. great. I would love to support you in doing that. What do you need from me? I think Mm -hmm. it's a great way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, boundary work, Kristen, I think is important in so many different areas of like healing, right? But it seems like it would be particularly important here, especially if you are working to maintain your sobriety around like, okay, no, I can't be in that kind of a situation or please don't invite me to these Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Or even like you just mentioned, right? Like if I say I have a drinking problem, what does that bring up for other people who maybe drink as much as I was, right? So now does it feel like an indictment? And so it feels like there needs to be some real boundary work as a part of this recovery as well. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think that, you know, recovery is a beautiful, beautiful journey. I wouldn't trade mine for the world. And I know so many women that even through the ups and downs find it to be worth it. But some of that can be hard is because not everybody's ready to do what you need them to do Mm. or what you would have them do to support your recovery. And sometimes that does mean seeing people less. It does mean bowing out of certain things based on the day you've had, like for me, if I've had a rough week and it's not that I'm going to go out and drink, but I just know mentally and emotionally I've had a draining week. I tend to not put myself even at six, almost seven years sober. I may opt out of going to the party with the friends just because I know that I don't need that. (laughs) I don't need that extra stressor on me. Sometimes, you know, you do have to end friendships or distance yourself from certain people in order to protect your recovery. And there's a grieving process with that, you know, but I think that in recovery, you can come to have closure with that and have peace around having to make those decisions because not everyone's going to be in a place where they can support you in the ways that you need to be supported. And it is very important that you handle and manage your triggers, people, places, and things. And sometimes those people are ones closest to you. And so having those conversations can be hard, but very necessary. Yeah, which is why going back to the original points around why building this new community of people is so important, right? Because there may be a loss of some other people who can't support you in the ways that you need to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you've already given us quite a few great resources, Kristen, but I wonder if there are any other books or podcasts or communities that you think people should check out that might support them if they're looking for sober resources. Yeah, so I would say, honestly, the best one that I know is searching the sober black women hashtag on Instagram. I know a lot of women, black women that use that. There's a lot of accounts that I found from that. It's a great resource. She Recovers. Dot org. They're not a um, BIPOC specific group, but they do have some 
meetings that are specifically for BIPOC. And so you can get connected there. Sober Black Girls Club is another, I think their website is just soberblackgirlsclub.com, but they also have an Instagram. They host meetings several times a week. And what is your website, Kristen, as well as any social media handles you'd like to share? My website is B3, so the letter B, the number three, by Kristen.com. And my Instagram handle is just my name, at Kristen Feimster. And so if you go to my website, I do have a resources tab that has a list of other meetings. They're not all specifically for Black women or people of color, but there is a resource to get started. Like you mentioned, podcasts and recovery meetings and that sort of thing to just get the ball rolling and then... All you have to do is just get your foot in the door in one of these spaces. You don't have to have all the answers to start. You just need to open the door and let someone else help you to guide you along. And so anything that you can have where it's person to person contact, I think, will be the best bet for moving forward with this and then growing from there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. I really appreciate you sharing so much with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that Kristen was able to share her expertise with us today. To learn more about her and her work, visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 223. And don't forget to text two of your girls and tell them to check out the episode right now. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the Sister Circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey, ladies. It's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements. 
and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.